Book, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and it's October 24th. Today we have a Hillsborough County-focused podcast with reporter Marlene Sokol, and we're just going to dive right in. Okay, so Marlene, you've got so much crazy stuff going on in the Hillsborough County School District this this week and this month and this year that we're going to give you a special podcast all for Hillsborough County school craziness. And I want to let you start off, decide which of the many subject areas you want to start with. Well, I'll, thank you, Jeff. I'll start with the positive. Two positive things. Number one, the temperatures have gotten a little bit cooler, so, you know, it's not as uncomfortable in schools with air conditioning problems. We're almost in November. But have they fixed the air conditioners? That changes from day to day, depending on when you ask, and I, I could not tell you right up to the minute, you know, how many are working and how many are not working. But, you know, I think it's safe to assume people where they're, where they're having trouble are not as miserable. Well, that's good. That's good news. Definitely. I've been in those classrooms where they're hot and they are definitely miserable. Oh, yeah. And then the second good thing before we get to like the, the big bowl of bad is that, um, you know, the superintendent has a creative way to make use of some of the empty spaces in some of the urban schools. Um, throughout the district, um, people have been leaving to go to the charter schools. At last count, there were 29,000 empty seats. And in some of the small under-enrolled elementary schools, he has a plan to bring in some preschool which will help with with the reading issues, get kids in, you know, ideally younger siblings uh, of the students who are already there and give them a head start on their sight words and, you know, their letter sounds and and get them ready for kindergarten. So so that's a positive. Question question on that. I have a question on that. How are they possibly going to afford the instructors to get those kids taught? My understanding is that even under 7069, there is some money that you can put aside for early childhood education. Um, Before the Title I money goes out to the schools, there is some that you can take off the top and that this is where it would come from. And this would be something that they could definitely do? I mean, that they have obviously the space for, but would they have to require kids to come? Um, It would be voluntary, but um, let's say, for example, Shaw Elementary School is is a case we discussed yesterday. And so you have a five-year-old kindergartner in Shaw, and he has a a three-year-old, you know, little brother or little sister. So mom is already walking the five-year-old to kindergarten. It would be very easy for her to bring the three-year-old along, and and the three-year-old goes to preschool. So really, they're most interested in four-year-olds. They're concerned about kindergarten readiness, but three-year-olds as well. And the rough numbers I heard were maybe 15 children per class with a teacher and a teacher's aide, and then maybe see if we can get this into 20 schools. So so these are just rough top-of-the-head numbers, but... You know, it helps. Yeah, maybe they'll actually get some of the state VPK money too. Who knows? Yeah, that that that's a level of specificity that I that I don't know. But I I wanted to start with those two positive things because there there is a lot of of bad news in Hillsborough right now. So, which bad news piece are we looking at? Are we looking at the um, 
Well, you go ahead. Tell me. <laughs> well, I, I think we're getting a little bit of critical mass because here's what happened in the same week. Uh, we had, okay, we had an exercise where some of the school board members were arguing publicly. They may not have realized they were in the public, but they did, and that was a little bit embarrassing. Um, then just a, a short while later, there was this lawsuit filed by the former human, um, human resources chief, Stephanie Woodford, which is really loaded with allegations, um, I wouldn't say of large corruption, but minor corruption on the part of school board members. And more interesting to me is it accuses district staff of going along with it and enabling it. And, you know, so, so, so this is ugly stuff um, involving two school board members in particular, but also involving the chief of staff, the superintendent, um, and it really doesn't look good. And the district has come out of the gate saying, you know, this lawsuit is full of lies and inaccuracies, significant inaccuracies. But it's not all lies. You know, some of it did happen. And, you know, as long as the lawsuit stays alive, they have to deal with the embarrassment and other possible repercussions. Um, on, okay, and that's, that's just one pile of, of, you know, misfortune. I wonder, can I ask you about that lawsuit? Because it just, seem, it just seems like the people who won and got Mary Ellen Elia out are now being accused of the same kind of things that they accused her of doing. Is that pretty much what's going on? Uh, somewhat. There, there, there are still rivalries. There are scores that were never settled. There are grudges. So you do have a group of people who were perceived as loyalists to Mary Ellen Ilya, and the new group didn't like them, didn't trust them. Um, to me, one of the more fascinating parts of the lawsuit is a description of Stephanie Woodford, who is the fired HR chief, and she was out having lunch with Dan Valdez, who was Mary Ellen Ilya's deputy superintendent. And that was a no-no. And she describes being really punished, humiliated. She had to go to Jeff Aikens, the superintendent, and tell on herself. That's a direct quote. So, you know, it seems kind of silly, but it, it yes, those divisions still exist. Um, even three years later, there are people who do not trust each other. And you do see scores being settled. I was surprised. To, I was surprised to see that um, even former Superintendent Earl Leonard was described as evil in by some people that, as it was contained in that lawsuit. Yeah, and I never thought of him that way. <laughs> well, no, he's not evil. I, I don't think. But but the reality is, you you do have a network of retired. Um, you know, high-ranking school district officials who most of them are retired, some of them not yet retired, but nearing retirement, they network together, they have breakfast together, they have lunch together, they share information. Um, you know, the whistleblower, you know, which is gets looked at a lot, he gets a lot of his information from this network of people um, who do not like the new guard, and they did not like seeing Mary Ellen Ilya fired, and they may or may not like, you know, Cindy Stewart and Susan Valdez. Some of this is political. Some of it is personal. Um, but, yeah, those rivalries, and even after people retire from the district, they still take part in the sharing of information and, in some cases, trying to bring somebody down. So you've got the stirring up of all this political, personal stuff going on, which is not 
boding well for people who want to feel good about their district, especially if they're going to ask for a tax. Bingo. Yeah, bingo. Because it couldn't happen at a worse time because the people who are running things, you know, the, the chief financial officer, the chief operations officer, they have told us flat out, we need more money. We need more money, a tax hike. You, you know, we can't keep the air conditioners fixed and keep the lights on unless we ask the public for more money. So then it becomes, how do you ask the public for more money when, you know, all of all of these other things are being alleged? And, and not just in the lawsuit, there are also some investigations that have been initiated um, at the state level, ethics investigations, professional, you know, and some, and some of these investigations are short-lived. They come and they go. But involving some of the same issues that Stephanie Woodford alleged in her lawsuit, for example, the hiring of somebody who was a campaign manager who was not qualified for her job, and then the attempt to cover that up when it was discovered. So some of the same things that the lawsuit alleges have also been the subject of some state investigations. Wow. And then you have on top of that the teachers trying to get pay raises that they were promised four years ago, and it doesn't look good. So they're not being very supported or supportive either. No, and and there are a couple of problems with that. I mean, the, the pay plan that Hillsborough adopted four years ago, there, there's a lot of debate over whether it was smart or whether it was foolish. And, and that's the one that gives the teachers a $4,000 raise every three years. So for, for three years, they, they go without a raise, but then they get a $4,000 raise. And the two sides could debate all day whether it was affordable, which the union says it was, or whether it was just, let's just call it payola. I mean, during the Gates experiment, you know, the district needed to make the union happy, the union needed to make their members happy, so they rolled out this very nice pay plan. And and again, the union still says it's absolutely affordable. The district, they won't come out directly and say it's a bad pay plan, And I suspect they won't say that because then they would have to acknowledge that a mistake was made in in designing it. So they won't say it's a bad pay plan, but what they will say is, well, we cannot honor it this year. We, We cannot advance you to your next year's pay rate. You know, we have to keep your pay as it is. And that's angering a lot of teachers. We're hearing from teachers who are just livid about this. And I saw you had bus drivers who were equally upset about something as well. Yeah, the bus drivers, and if I had to guess, I would say that group was organized. I don't know who organized them, but, you know, 10, 12 bus drivers don't just spontaneously come down to the school board and and get up and speak. But their issue is, you know, they've always had very low pay rates, $10 an hour, $11 an hour. You know, it's not much, and and they typically have a seven-hour workday. So for many years, they relied on overtime and field trips, you know, to, to, to bolster their earnings. And the new transportation chief, he's been trying to make the system more efficient. So he has cut down on overtime dramatically. You know, he's just trying to stick to the basics. Um, But, you know, to the bus drivers, that's money out of their pockets. So, you know, so you're hearing from the bus drivers, you're hearing from the teachers. There's a lot of dissatisfaction among the workforce. I wonder how that 
overrides or deal or comes into play with the goodwill that they tried to create by that bus schedule change that has high school kids moving from 7.30 to 8.30 start times. I heard a lot of positive stuff about that out in the community. Yeah, and that's something I met with the superintendent yesterday, and he pointed that out. He said, look, you know, the, the money situation is what it is. You can't just flip a switch and get out of it. But I have been trying to do things to help the teachers. And he brought up the fact that with this new bus schedule, high school teachers are going to have a lot more time to plan, a lot more time to plan collaboratively with each other. Um, bus drivers will not be as stressed out because they'll have enough time between, between runs that, you know, they don't have to run red lights to get kids to school on time. So his contention is he's been trying to do things to help work conditions, but I don't know how far that goes when you were counting on a $4,000 raise and you don't get one. And, and the teachers do feel that this is money that is owed to them. The, the one-third of the group that were expecting the $4,000 raises the reality, however, is in that pay agreement, it clearly says that if the district does not have the money, that you go back to the bargaining table. So if you read the fine print, it was never a guarantee, even though some of the teachers, they believe it was a guarantee. The bottom line here is we have to keep remembering, though, that the teachers' work conditions, the bus drivers' work conditions are our kids' learning and safe driving to school conditions. And if something goes wrong, it can go wrong for everyone, and I wonder how the school board and the staff are planning to get around all this and, and make it right because the kids are the ones who need everything to be right. Yeah, and most teachers I know, and you know as well as I do, most teachers, they are in it for the kids, and when they are at school, they're not thinking about their pay raise that they didn't get. They're doing the best they can by the children. Um, what I find a little bit disturbing you go to these school board meetings and teachers are disrespected. They, they come out to, to say their piece, to speak their three minutes, which is a career risk. You know, you're getting up there in public and, and complaining, essentially. And the school board members, they do not want to hear it. Uh, the school board chairwoman, Cindy Stewart, she'll limit them to two minutes instead of three minutes. And she'll admonish them not to applaud for each other. And that does not go over well. That, that does not go over well at all. So you see teachers, you know, you don't know if they are the majority, they are the vocal, you know, whatever number they are, but, but they feel insulted and they feel disrespected by, of all people, their school board. And this is the eighth largest school district in the country. We have to keep reminding ourselves of this. This isn't some rinky-dink little place that's just a backwater school district with a handful of people just doing self-interested stuff only. Oh, no, it's huge. It's very diverse. It has areas of excellence, and it also has areas of tremendous need. It has schools that have been F year after year. And so, yeah, there is a lot, of, a lot at stake here, 200,000 kids. So you have anything you want to wrap up with? Because you're there every day. You're in on these things. I mean, what's your prognosis for what's going to happen? I don't know what the prognosis is because it's it's almost as if I were covering the White House every day. It's something else. I, I don't know if anybody else is going to file a lawsuit. I don't know if there's going to be any more scandal. Um, there are people who smell blood in the water and, and they want to get some resignations, but I don't think any resignations are going to happen anytime soon. So 
I don't know. Again, the superintendent, you know, he's trying to, to just keep people's eye on the prize, and he's trying to keep the people who work in the schools to just pay attention to, to their goals and to their students' needs. And, but I don't know where all this is going to end. So what should we watch for then? I mean, if there's a, is there like a signal, a point that we should say, aha, this is going to be a turning point? Can you tell? I don't know. Um, the, the, the teacher situation, that could go to an impasse. I don't think it looks real promising as far as, as teachers getting the raise if they were due for a raise. In, in terms of the budget, you know, they've, it's been tight budget years for the last three years now. I, I don't see any big change happening on that. Um, I'm not optimistic about anybody who's trying to, to put together a sales referendum campaign. But honestly, I could not even predict what's going to happen next. Uh, you know, going back to the optimistic part of the situation, they're waiting for graduation rates to come out. Um, people at the top are crossing their fingers that they'll get more good news on that score. Um, so, that, you know, they're trying to get into a 90% graduation rate, and I, I think that's that's what they're hoping to see. Well, maybe we can say that the good news is what's going on in the schools and the bad news is what's going on around them. To a large extent. I, I think it would be unrealistic to say it's all good. But you're absolutely right. A lot of it is very good. And most teachers I know, you know, they, they leave the nonsense behind them when they're in front of a classroom full of students. That's the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in this conversation, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. You can also follow the breaking news on Hillsborough County Schools, Florida Education, and related matters on our blog, tampabay.com gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening. 